0: Hey there, star babies. Welcome back to another episode of The, the Spiritual Games. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. I'm your other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense.
1: No, because... <laughs> It just doesn't make, I mean, nothing makes sense. It don't
0: make sense. Especially this episode, we have a deep dive spirit talk with Gazer Taylor Shirley, and we're going to be exploring aliens, unexplained aerial phenomena, also known as UFOs.
1: Yeah, we are going deep into unexplained phenomena. Which I think is a place this podcast Wants to go. I mean it's it's going there. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so we hope you're ready to take the ride. Let's uh introduce yeah, ourselves. It's not tarot, it's not astrology. It's its own special, unique uh, thing. I'm excited. So who who are you? This. I'm Angel Lopez. Somebody who's excited. I am a writer, a producer, an astrologer, a teacher, healer queeler.
0: And you? I'm Brandon Alter. I'm an Aquarius, I'm a quitch. I'm a queeler, I'm a questrologer, a queero reader. Wow. <laughs> uh, I'm a performer, I'm a writer, and... I'm... Not a quaformer? No, I'm not a quaformer.
1: Oh, okay.
0: That feels like very, like, QAnon-y, A quaformer. <laughs> Basically, I'm a queer spiritual healer
1: who uses many different modalities uh, to help you live your best life. Which... It's a concept that also doesn't make sense. Well, That's I mean... for we're exploring. Yeah, yeah, angelism, like, the live your best life idea. Well, I mean, something I've always, like, I think used for myself as like, a measurement of, you know, am I heading there? But am I heading toward my best life? But I feel like... Um, It sets you up for failure in some degree, and it sets you up for self-criticism and judgment. Yeah. I mean,
0: like, I think if you're thinking about your best life from externals, like my best life is how many properties I own and how much money I make. Yes. But I think if living your best life is a feeling of how you're moving through your life, that's how I think of it. No, and I get that. That's what I think healing work is about, is about stripping away or returning to you aspects of yourself that help you to Live life with more grace and ease. That's all I want these days. As I get older, I'm just like, can it just be more peaceful? Can it just be more easeful, please?
1: No, not in this world, sister. Hey, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm doing my best. It's my number one
0: priority. Ease, peace, grace. Yeah, no, stillness. Definitely. Harder to come by. I had a caffeine relapse, everybody. I had a oat milk chai latte this weekend. It was delicious. It was at my friend's coffee shop, and I had to try it. And I was jacked up. (laughs) And I don't regret it because it was delicious, but I regret how it made me feel. And somebody needs to figure out how to make
1: a really delicious decaf chai. Because I haven't found it. Yeah, we've tried a couple, but didn't quite measure up. Yeah. Hey, should we do a little check-in? Yeah, please. How the hell are you? Ah, me? I'm okay. feeling a little drained today. Feeling a little, you know, run down, listless. But yeah, otherwise, I think I'm, you know, in the grand scheme of myself, my life, I'm doing okay. I'm just really trying to take it uh, as it comes. This does, uh, well, this week does mark the one-year anniversary of my father's passing, which I can definitely feel in, like, just, like, my energy field. And it definitely... uh, you know, it's weird. It's like weird and obviously sad. It's weird to think of like how much time that actually is, but at the same time, not at all. It's like I immediately kind of think back to that exact experience. And I think on some level I probably haven't like entirely healed from that experience just the just the literal experience of it. Um yeah, I don't know if you ever will fully heal from that. I think losing a parent, especially in the way you did is it's a rupture, you know. Yeah, but I mean even just like I mean the the trauma, the traumatic experience of like of, you know, of actually going through it, you know, the like actual being there during it. Like it's, you know, I think I tried to uh, push some of that away from my memory really quickly. And it's hard not to uh, just think back on the the goings-on of just exactly one year ago.
0: Yeah. Well, healing is a nonlinear process. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like unpacking a suitcase, except you don't unpack it all at once. When you get home from the trip, you unpack it just a little bit at a time as you're ready. Mm-hmm. And so I think you just need to keep being gentle with yourself and know that, you know, you had 44 years with your dad and it's not going to maybe take 44 years to figure out how to be
1: without your dad, but it's a long process. It's a, it's a long yeah. I don't road. think it's, I think it's even on. A, Sorry. I, I was, I was just, gonna just gonna say, I don't even think it's a process you ever, it, I don't think it ever ends. You know, I think it's an evolution of your relationship with your parents, right. whether they're here or not.
0: And I think it's interesting To just put into perspective that there was a period of your dad's life where you weren't here. Oh, yeah. Right? So these deep relationships we have with our parents are for limited periods of time, and we
1: experience life, whatever it is, without each other. Yeah, totally. Um, So, yeah, that's just some of where my head is at. and, um, And, yeah, moving through. How are you?
0: Well, what I was going to share is going to seem really stupid in comparison cuz I lost my favorite ring. <laughs> but when you put it in the perspective of losing a parent, I feel pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like
1: I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a it's a grief process in its own way.
0: Yeah, if you know me, you know that I really love a ring and I have a small collection of like vintage stone rings. And there was this one ring that I wore almost every day, It looked like a little night landscape with like a little opal planet and a shooting star. And at some point last night, maybe on a hike, maybe at dinner, it just fell off my finger and I didn't notice. And it's just, it's gone. And that is how it is to work with objects. Sometimes your journey ends before you realize it it was over. So... I'm giving myself permission to be sad, but it's also just a thing, even though it was a thing with a spirit and I loved it. And I hope whoever finds it is blessed by it and I'm trying to move through it.
1: Yeah, and if you're meant to be together forever, it'll come back around to you in some miraculous, magical way.
0: Totally. I don't think it was, you know? Mm -hmm. I had a really interesting thing happen earlier in the evening where this moth landed on my hand, the hand that I wear that ring on. And it was such an, it was like a very brief moment, but I've never had a moth land on me. And it was like a, it was a big kind of beautiful gray white moth. And I was like, what are you doing here? And I'm not like a huge bug person. Like I ordinarily would be like, get off me moth. But in the moment I was like, okay, I'm going to respect that you're landing on my hand. And I think it stole that ring from me. (laughs) That's what I was thinking.
1: (laughs) That fucking moth. Yeah. Or it was trying to alert you to the fact that it had disappeared. Yeah. Who can say, but it all feels like, meant to be and
0: i have to trust and accept that that ring had other plans for its life that did not include me so (laughs) i bow to you ring
1: and i hope you get i hope you get your needs met in the way that you need them met yes well you'll see its uh its life play out in uh pixar's next film ring story (laughs) it's coming to theaters in the spring of 2025 ring in the spring (laughs) with ring story exactly the voice of share as the moth hey where'd your ring go
0: hey isn't there supposed to be a ring
1: here i'm a fucking moth bitch i'm stealing this ring this
0: ring is gorgeous all right so that's our (laughs) check-in over fools over here um We really want to get into our spirit talk because there's so much there. Mm -hmm. We do want to alert y'all to the fact that we recorded this the day after Mercury went direct. We thought we were out of the woods. We tried. But there are some technical difficulties, not with Taylor, who sounds great, but with us, who sound a little bit like we're in a
1: wind tunnel. Well, because we were in a room being recorded, not through our microphones. And nobody knows why that is, except for perhaps the trickster planet Mercury. So just
0: know it's a little rough, but mostly it's Taylor talking and not us. So we hope that you will enjoy the conversation. And I have to say, when I was editing it, I thought, you know... I don't know if you ever listened to those like late night radio shows, like uh, Ghost to Ghost with Art Bell, or like <laughs> right. those call-in shows where like people would call in and talk about aliens or you know all sorts of supernatural phenomenon. They were always like a little staticky and crunchy. And so as I was listening to it, I almost felt like oh, this almost feels right, considering the subject matter, that it feels like you're tuning into something that almost doesn't want to be broadcast out to you. interesting. So who can say? In any event, we are always striving to give you the best sounding program that we can, but it's just the two of us and Noche. But Noche is technologically foolish, even though he is spiritually wise. So just know we're
1: doing our best. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before we get into that, we wanted to just offer you all a, a dose, dose of inspiration. So we, you know, we've been we've been watching some things, we've been reading some things. You know, we're always, uh, you know, just diving into created worlds, created worlds to For get the nourishment ourselves. they can bring. Exactly. And um, and and ones that actually aren't uh, made up of reality television stars. No, we've been watching a lot of scripted content, which we is have. a little unusual for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's very unusual for Brandon. It's unusual for me to find something that we both can watch scripted together. But now that's kind of been yeah a lot of what we've been doing. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of reality for a little bit. Yeah, it's nice to be... Well, there isn't as much on that we love, so it's good to uh, veer away from it. Even the reality I love, I'm not as drawn to these days as like a really well-crafted story that kind of takes me away. So what we've been getting into, and I guess what we're going to talk about first and foremost is... And Just Like That. And Just Like That, the latest Sex in the City installment. I mean, look, it's been the talk of Twitter... Everyone has had an opinion on Unjust Like That. So we figured, why not have one ourselves? It's a mixed bag. We're not going to lie. But Angel and I are diehard Sex and the City fans. So we were very happy when it
0: was returning to the air. And we gave it a lot of forgiveness.
1: Yes. <laughs> we were gentle. We were generous. And, like that. <laughs> and
0: then at a certain point, we were kind of like, huh, this feels like a missed opportunity. And we're sad about it. Yeah. Some great moments... Great to see them again, but we definitely were holding a higher bar for how we thought the storytelling could continue. But what's interesting, what we kind of, I think, wanted to talk about was like the vitriol that's been directed towards it. Yeah. And how inflammatory it's been. Like people are just so upset about it. They're upset about Che Diaz, the non binary character that Miranda falls in love with. They're upset
1: about. The writing, which I guess I'm a little upset about too, in some moments of it. Well, there, I think they're very upset with how the characters have aged, in particular. And I think there's certainly some, you know, opinions in that regard that make sense that I understand. Um, but it does feel a lot like a lot of it is strictly based off of the fact that these characters have aged. I
0: mean it's been 20 years. You would hope you would hope that they've not only aged but matured and grown
1: and changed, right? Yeah. And I just don't think that they have like matured and grown and aged in a way that everyone would have wanted them to or thinks they should have or could have.
0: I also think it reflects back on people who have also aged the same amount of time. And I don't think people want to be reminded of that. I think Sex and the City was always this like fun, frothy sort of romp through New York City. And people want that sort of flavor again. And it's trying to question things. It's trying to be a little bit more provocative. And I think people who found it to be such like a soft, comfortable place coming back to
1: where like, this is not the sex in the city that I enjoyed. And I don't want to have to look at myself in this way. Yeah, I was not mad at like watching the Miranda character and, you know, spoiler alert for people who haven't listened, you can forward ahead, but, or haven't watched. Um, You know, I, I was grateful to see the Miranda character going through marriage challenges and conflicts with her children and her career. And also with just... An adjustment to, or a ch- very challenging adjustment to how she responds to the, you know, socio, you know, political issues of today. Yeah. I just like seeing somebody of that age continuing to question their
0: identity and continuing to like experiment. And we say on the program all the time identity is a, it's not a fixed point, it's always changing. And I think people get attached to characters, and they want characters to remain fixed all the time. And and just like that, did not do
1: that. Yeah, I mean, and you know, did it? Did they at times feel older than, you know, other fifty-something-year-olds? Yeah, they did. You know, they seemed a little out of touch. I'd say but they're also like rich white ladies in New York who can
0: sometimes be out of touch. Anyone living in New York can sometimes be out of touch. Totally, because it's this little microcosm. Yeah, so. In any big city. But there were enough fun moments to make up for the not fun moments. I agree. And I think it's coming back for a second season and I will be there, ready to celebrate it and hope for a better go.
1: Yeah. And I do hope they find a more nuanced approach to the Che Diaz character. Because I did think that they were really valuable and interesting, but we just didn't get like a fully fleshed out character. Yeah, And so it was like, you know like a B plus for effort, but like where w- was just the fully rounded expression of of that character? It yeah. wasn't there. I do think there's
0: a lot of reasons why people didn't like Jay Diaz and part of it was how the character was written. But I also think that a lot of people are used to seeing queer characters, non-binary characters, not successful. Like most queer stories are centered around suffering and shame it's very rare uh in the landscape that you see a queer character whose queerness is kind of besides the point and they're thriving. And Che is this character who's kind of thriving. Now they're a narcissist for sure, self proclaimed, but I think there was also that aspect too.
1: Yeah. And just like people's inherent transphobia.
0: Well, for sure.
1: Yeah. Even transphobia, I think, within the gay community. Oh my gosh, definitely. I don't know how many like gay men were like directing um such like just disdain toward that character and not even like using their correct pronouns when like discussing them or even the actor playing the character like yeah. it was just so annoying and i'm just like you have no real concept of like your own um just like underlying frustration around this like i think there is just an underlying frustration for a lot of people in society around like having to adjust to the changes that we're moving through and the, you know, the fact that people are finally feeling allowed to express themselves and live their lives as exactly who they want to be, and how that challenges everyone else's just like long lived in perceptions of the way things are supposed to be and the vocabulary they've been using. And I think it just like frustrates them. So then they just kind of find ways to take attack it. Out. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think it all boils down to fear. I think people are afraid of accepting it
0: because then it means they might have to question their own identity. Yeah. If Miranda, as a 50-something woman, can all of a sudden realize that she's not attracted to men anymore, what does that mean for other people who are so confident about their own orientation? If all of a sudden we're presented with non-binary people on television, does that mean we have to question our own complicity in, in the gender binary? Maybe... And I, think, and I think people, especially at a certain age, are so fixed in who they are and have found a path of least resistance to kind of move through the day that they don't want to question it. And so they want to tear down anything that might make them in their comfortable house a little uncomfortable, have to do a little bit of self-inquiry. Yeah. But that's not you, because you listen to this program, which is literally based <laughs> around self-inquiry.
1: So uh, yeah. we'd like to hear your thoughts on this subject. Yeah, because you might not have liked the show simply because it maybe just wasn't funny enough. Or the fashions. The fashions... Ooh, it was like throwing spaghetti at a wall, and some of it stuck, and some of it left a stain. Yeah, some of them were like, "What was that?" So that's and just like that, and just like that, we stopped talking about it. <laughs> just like that, <laughs> and just like that, we moved on. Another amazing thing we've been watching that actually I think also deals with like a woman sort of going through like an identity crisis is this amazing show called Somebody Somewhere that uh, is on HBO Max, starring the phenomenal, legendary Bridget Everett.
0: icon Bridget Everett. We stand.
1: Yeah. I don't know if, if uh, any of y'all have had a chance to check the show out, um, but it, it essentially focuses on this woman who uh, lives in like a smaller rural town and uh, befriends this gay who works with her and he welcomes her into this sort of underground uh, musical-based community. And she was like his favorite singer when they were growing up together and so it really is about her like finding her voice again. Yeah, and coming back to life. Yeah. So beautiful and so funny. So funny. And the the whole ensemble is amazing. Um, you really just feel like you're entering into this incredibly lived-in world of people. And and seriously, if you don't know Bridget Everett, do yourself a favor and watch the show. As your uh, doorway into her, she's like this phenomenal New York City based cabaret performer. And she gave an amazing performance in this movie a few years back called Patty Cakes. So good. Go watch Patty Cakes. Yeah.
0: And we're also watching Station 11.
1: Oh my God.
0: Which is based on a book I read a long time ago, but I don't really remember reading the book too much because I was probably high. Uh, but. It is so phenomenal, and I'm in the queue at the public library to get the book again. But there's a very long queue because everyone's watching the TV show and loving it and wanting to get the book, which is great. Uh, I love that TV is inspiring people to read again. But it is uh, a sci-fi light in the sense that you're going into the future and watching how people are responding to a pandemic-like situation with a lot of creativity and art and hope And it is truly an incredible meditation on what it means to be a human, on what it means to survive. Incredible performances, beautiful writing. I mean, just phenomenal writing. Yeah. And if it weren't for Angel telling me no, I would have like stayed up until the sunrise watching the whole thing. (laughs) Because I just like wanted to live in that world for as long as I possibly could. But Angel was like, no, honey, no, we have to go to bed now.
1: It's an emotionally heavy world, too, for those of you who are a little more emotionally inclined. And so for me, it just, like, becomes really hard to watch, too. Like, too many at one time. Yeah, I guess that's all my Scorpio planets. Like, once I'm
0: in those deep waters, I just, like, want to stay there, you know? Yeah. but Because that I get the the
1: bends. Like, you're pulling me out, you're putting me back in, you're pulling me out, you're (laughs) putting me back in. It's like, I just want to stay there. Yeah, no. There was one episode that just like left me in like heaving sobs. Yeah, and I was like, I think I need a, I think I need to, to lay down now.
0: <laughs> so just know that going in, but we highly recommend Station Eleven as well if you're looking for for some worlds to yeah. inhabit beyond this this one. Speaking of worlds
1: to inhabit beyond this one,
0: we are so excited to bring Taylor Shirley, who's one of our favorite gazers, into the spirit room. Uh, Taylor is a business student at the University of Houston. He's also one of our tarot and astrology students. He's a futurist, an esoteric investigator, a ravenous learner of history, especially in relation to how different cultures have interacted with the spirit world over time. Uh, Taylor is also a seamstress of dreams, a self-proclaimed dreamstress, and a quitch, So, we hope you enjoy this episode's Spirit Spirit Talk. Talk. So, Taylor, thank you so much for being here and uh, giving us a deep dive into the wild brain that is
2: yours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Us too. I I think we first talked about this conversation happening like six months ago, but uh, I was uh, working for a company where I didn't feel comfortable talking about this topic, so I'm glad I, I can finally do this now.
0: Yeah, so there are obviously many different conversations we could have with Taylor, but because it is Aquarius season, we really wanted to theme today's conversation around extraterrestrials, UFOs, and intelligent life beyond human beings. And Taylor is a ravenous student, um, and I'm going to call Taylor like a a spiritual gaze-appointed expert on UFOs (laughs) and alien life. I'm because, good with that. Because <laughs> Taylor digs deep. So we felt like there was nobody better to have this conversation with. And I also just can't believe like we're approaching year three of this podcast and we've never done an episode on aliens. I which know. Is, which is bullshit. So we
2: are amending that. <laughs> <for> <laughs> so, I'm glad podcast. I can I can be <laughs> that diamond. Here.
1: No, totally. Um but yeah, you've been like just a member of like a spiritual gaze family. I feel like for a long time. It feels like from almost
2: <laughs> Yeah, almost came in on the James R. Eads podcast that y'all did. So that I wanna say it was like within the first six months of the podcast starting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um
1: and yeah, you are obviously like a a student, a practitioner even of tarot astrology. Um a queer witch, I a think queer we hear
2: yeah witch. witch. Yeah, it's period of the
1: Just to ground this in, like, uh, your, you know, your personal life, like, what brought you to that?
2: Oh, a very long, very rocky journey. So I was raised by a Catholic father and a Southern Baptist mother. And in third grade, they put me in my, well, I was in third grade, they put me and my brother in a Christian school run by, like, the Church of Christ. So I was very steeped in, like, Christian religion, you know, Bible Belt. I live in Texas. So, like, kind of comes with the territory. Uh, But probably around the age of puberty, like 12, 13, when I started realizing that I was gay, I started mentally reconciling that with what I was hearing from the Bible and like the horrible things that I was hearing from church leaders saying about gay people. And so that kind of began my journey into diving first really deep into the Bible and reading it like cover to cover to just see what it was in its entirety and not just like the Sunday school stories that I would be told that kind of cherry picked the good parts and left out the bad parts. And so after reading the Bible, I decided. I wasn't a Christian. I appreciated like the beautiful parts of the Bible, but there was just too much in it that I couldn't get behind. And so I started really diving deep into other cultures uh, and the way that they interact with the afterlife, uh, the way that they interact with spirituality while they're here. Uh, I looked into Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Gnosticism. I mean, I've, I've looked into most of the religions and spiritualities that are out there and kind of pieced together my own tapestry of spirituality from that.
1: But you always felt like from that point, there was this connection to something outside yourself, something grander.
2: Yeah. So whenever I was in first grade, I had a near-death experience whenever I had a a lot of stomach issues yeah i had a a lot of stomach issues as a child and there was this one procedure that i had to have done where they stuck a camera down my throat to see like what was going on at the top of my uh, like stomach and whenever they did this uh the camera was too big and so i flatline was dead for a minute They brought me back uh, it was a whole thing i didn't actually even know that this happened so for me it just seemed like i blinked and like i woke up and that was it and i overheard my mom talking about this specific procedure and this thing happening on the phone with one of her friends like when i was in fifth or sixth grade and i was like what yeah but <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> uh i i feel like that was definitely a turning point with my spirituality even at that young age i i grew up in a house that at the time i would have considered haunted just because of the supernatural type of experiences that i experienced in it and it got i would say it got the most intense around the age of like eighth or ninth grade the point where like my friends wouldn't want to spend the night at my house because like there was too much going on so i always I never really uh, encroached into the atheist territory whenever I was on my spiritual hunt just because I experienced, I feel like that near-death experience at a young age opened me up to something that I still don't fully understand. And I feel like it allowed these types of experiences to happen in semi-regularity for me, which just... I mean, it obviously made me see that like there's more than the, what we see in front of our faces going on.
0: And so when did aliens enter into uh, <laughs> so the
2: that is that's the really cool and it the way that I got into this subject kind of reminds me of how I came across y'all. It was a series of very uh, strange coincidences. so I I mean, from an early age, just because like y'all know that I'm a giant Star Wars nerd, so I've always like thought about the concept of aliens, it was just like, sure, I'm sure they're out there whatever. Mm-hmm. But the guy, so there's a man named Tom Delong who started this company called to the Stars. and in twenty seventeen, this company was responsible for getting the three videos that the New York Times released that were the first ever declassified videos of UFOs by the United States uh, Navy. And before he created this company, Tom DeLong was the lead singer of the pop punk band Blink182 and uh band Angels and Airwaves <laughs> that I have listened to since I was a child. And like that be specifically the band angels and airwaves was something that I like really clung to during like the most difficult part of my adolescence. And so his music has always just hit me in such a way that like, I feel a spiritual connection to the art that he's putting out. Maybe not so much the man himself, as much as the work that he's doing, and so I've just kind of followed his career and around the same time that I was starting to learn about like astral projection and remote viewing and lucid dreaming and started realizing I had had these experiences on accident a couple of times in my life. He put out an entire body, like an album and uh, animated film about that, and, which got me really interested. And then I started digging deep into like, what what is this man doing right now? Like he's covering, he's covering some risky topics. And then I started seeing he left his bands and was traveling across the country and was meeting with uh, like John Podesta and people and Hillary Clinton, like, campaign that she was about to start running in 2016 and was talking to these like very high up government officials and I was like, what the hell is he doing <laughs> like what is going on? And then all of this came out in 2017 and I was just blown away that like this person that I've had such a strong connection to was like capable of tackling this topic that has essentially been treated like, the food in the back of the fridge that's gotten rotten and that you're depressed and, like, for whatever reason, you can't pull out of the back of your fridge and it, over time, just starts stinking and growing mold. And it's this thing that the U.S. government has not, has had records of since the early 1900s. But because it is such a lapse in what we are, what we know and what we're able to, quote-unquote, defend against, It's just something that they've consistently swept under the rug until
0: now. What is happening with UFOs right now? It seems like there's a lot that's going on. You mentioned those videos that were recently released. Yeah.
2: So with those videos, they were able to start releasing more of a standardized method of reporting these incidents. They're commonly in the military and government now referred to as UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, instead of UFO, just because UFO has so much stigma around it now. For a UAP to be classified as a UAP, it has to display what they call the five observables. And that is, uh, one, anti-gravity lift with a lack of any wings or rotors of any kind. So all of these craft that they come in contact with are perfectly smooth, uh, various shapes, and occasionally amorphous, but the common factor is that there are no wings of any kind or rotors like in modern conventional rockets or planes or anything. Um, the second observable is instantaneous acceleration, where these cracks have been reported going from our upper atmosphere to five feet above sea level at like, eight times the speed of sound and can turn at a 90 degree angle and shoot off in another direction, which for a normal craft with a human being inside of it, at those speeds, you would turn into juice against the wall like on at that radius. To give an example of like what the human body is capable of withstanding in an aircraft, the SR-71 Blackbird that was built by Lockheed Martin as the, like, premier spy jet, uh, it would take half the state of Ohio for it to make a right-turn angle, or a right-angle turn, and somebody, like, not pass out, or worse. So the fact that, yeah, the fact that these things, it's so far beyond what any current craft is capable of. So these are Uh, two
0: of the five categories that a UAP has to meet in order to be qualified as a UAP.
2: Yes. Got it. The third one is hypersonic velocities without signatures. So without vapor trails, without any kind of sonic booms happening. The fourth one is low observability or cloaking. Um, And then the fifth one is transmedium travel, which means it's able to go from outer space to our upper atmosphere to under the water and currently yeah we have nothing in our in our arsenal like that and as far as we're aware no other country does either so from there uh in 2017 the pentagon released that they do have a a secret ufo investigation program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and the acronym for that is ATIP. And then in, uh, so those three videos that were released in April of 2020, the Department of Defense came out and confirmed that those videos and those objects were real and that they were currently identified. One of the last things that Trump kind of like put into his COVID bill right before he left office was uh, for there to be a briefing about this to Congress uh, this past summer in June of 2021. So they did a preliminary assessment of the unidentified phenomenon and it was released from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. It was a 180-day investigation, which if you, you might not know this about government, but nothing can actually happen in 180 days. It takes longer to remodel a kitchen. Like there's, (laughs) there's, There's no way. So basically they just kind of had the first initial building blocks to set up a better program. And so this past like this past year or in the past couple of months actually, um the National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year twenty twenty two, um, on page fourteen ninety one, section sixteen eighty three, if anyone interested in looking that up if anyone's checking Uh, taylor's work everybody (laughs) yes oh also i do want to preface everything that i'm saying i would love all of the listeners to fact check me on everything that i say this is a topic that you want to go into with extreme curious skepticism because there is a lot of stuff out there and not all of it is true uh so just want just want to say that but uh in this section, they established the office organizational structure and authorities to address the, the unidentified aerial phenomenon, uh, to create a database that standardizes the ways that the military, the government, and civilians can report these sightings and these events, whether it be with UAPs or whether it be some kind of contact on the ground in some way, and to create, like, a team that goes out whenever there's a crashed landing of any kind, which happens, um, to go out and retrieve that, study it. And to me, it seems like they're also kind of gearing up to try and lure some of these UAPs because one of the things that they've noticed with them over the past, pretty much since World War II, is that there is a drastic increase in sightings over nuclear bases or places that are housing nuclear weapons. And there have been multiple instances where, especially in the Cold War between Russia and the U.S., uh, there have been declassified documents that when we've gone to power up our nukes and like are a button press away from firing them at Russia during the Cold War, uh, UAP would be hovering above this missile silo and shut down everything in the base electronically
0: wow which i think is a really powerful thing to think about because there is a lot of fear around the idea of can we just say like extraterrestrial life and and just these proven incidents of potentially extraterrestrial life saving us from our own undoing feels really helpful Like they they want us to survive against our own <laughs> self interest sure.
2: and uh, a great example. So there are a handful of key players in this topic. Uh, one of them is is a man named Luis Elizondo, and he was the director of the Advanced Air- uh, Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Um, and a great anecdote that he gives about like the threat level of. Aliens or UFOs is that uh, he says everyone or m- most people, unless you live like out in the country, when you go to sleep at night, you lock your doors. If you're really safe, you lock your windows. And if you're extra, extra careful, you lock your alarm. And imagine one night going to sleep, locking off everything, setting your alarms, and then waking up and there are muddy boot prints in your house and you don't find anyone but there's still evidence that someone was there. Now, is that person a threat or not? And the answer is they can, if they want to be, but so far with the evidence that I've seen, they very much could be a threat if they wanted to be and have not shown that behavior.
0: So just to back up a little bit, for those that haven't seen these videos that were released in 2020, they were released in 2020, but Uh, What year were they recorded?
2: So one of them was recorded in 2004. It's called the Nimitz event. And it took place off the coast of San Diego over a Navy battleship where uh, a man named Commander David Fravor went to check out this, what at first they thought was a submarine because of the way that it was hovering over the ocean. Creating this, the white water that you usually see when a submarine is surfacing. And whenever they went to investigate this, it was this tic tac shaped object that started uh, mirroring his movements as he was like circling around it, trying to get a good look at it. It started circling him too. And him and uh, one of the other pilots that was with him. Uh, they went to engage it and it disappeared. And when they were about to meet at the rendezvous point within a second, this thing appeared at their rendezvous point that hadn't even been communicated to them yet. The other videos, the gimbal and go fast, uh, if I'm not mistaken, these took place in 2014 and they took place off the coast of like the Georgia and Florida area um in one of the videos you can hear the pilot exclaiming that it's a whole fleet of them so these pilots were dealing with not just one but multiple and the way that it was rotating was just like physically impossible for aircraft that we have now and so those are kind of being noted as the gold standard of like the base of this investigation
0: and on the video what is mostly captured like their response to things or do you get some uap footage
2: the imagery that you see in these videos it looks black and white because it's using the radar system that these jets were using and so you're seeing like altitude you're seeing speed you're seeing what the wind is how fast the wind is um and after working for the company that makes these radars they are like some of the best and they are the best in the world at capturing like high-speed objects and they were having trouble locking onto these things because they were moving so fast and you can hear them get like excited when they finally do lock onto it because of how fast it's moving i would say the gimbal one you can see the most like Texture of the craft, just because it is not totally smooth, it has like it almost looks like a top, like it's it's a strange like, like a, a top, <laughs> not a gay top, like a toy top, like a like <laughs> a spinning top, yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for clarifying. Um, and it rotates in such in such an unusual way that it baffles all of the pilots and these people. They they aren't your everyday citizen off the street. They are trained observers. They go through hours and hours of training. They're being put in charge of these multi-million dollar aircraft. So they are like the best of the best. And there are a lot of skeptics. Like I know one of the most prominent skeptics with this topic is Neil deGrasse Tyson. He makes the claims that there were like sensors that were not operating correctly, that people were seeing a natural weather phenomenon, but with the sheer volume of people that were involved in reporting these things and all the different systems that were used to record it and the data that was collected, the evidence is just overwhelming to the point that it's like you're sticking your head in the sand. If if you try and explain it away. Like there's just so much mounting evidence against that argument.
0: And I'm curious because these videos were released and yet it seems like, except for people like us, people aren't really like
1: getting into it. Yeah,
2: so that's the funny thing about all of this coming out in a post-Trump era. It's just uh, another day's news cycle for a lot of people. And I feel like there is still so much stigma around the topic because of the propaganda that was the propaganda campaign that was going on throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, um, that a lot of people still have trouble uh, getting past that mental barrier. But at this point, there's just there's so much evidence. Sorry, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm just curious. Do you mean propaganda coming from the yeah. government to keep people from digging yeah. into it?
2: So there was absolutely, there, like, it is known that there was a propaganda campaign to kind of steer people away from this topic because the government just didn't know enough about it to have any kind of answers, so their way of approaching that was, we're going to pretend like it's not there. Right, and then tabloid
1: media kind of ran with that and was like, all right, then let's just kind of make it almost like a ridiculous, yeah. yeah. Like Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Taylor, Mary's alien, exactly things of that nature. (laughs) Well, she probably did.
2: (laughs) I I have no doubt she did.
0: Okay, so then let's go back. Let's go like way back. And this is where I think the intersection between spirituality and futurism kind of gets really juicy when we start to explore ancient peoples and their relationship to other beings. So what have you found in terms of the history of human beings and contact with with us? Yeah.
2: Whenever I was younger and I started researching just like different spiritualities of other cultures, um, a thing that I've noticed and kept track of over the years is that a lot of cultures, one, almost every culture across the world has uh, a legend of either a great flood or an extreme cataclysm that happened, like, towards the beginning of our written history. Um, and a lot of people, like, oh, the, for instance, different Native Americans, different uh, indigenous African tribes have very distinct astronomical knowledge that we didn't even have until recently um and like for instance the Hopi and Dakota they believe that their ancestors specifically came from the Pleiades um the Cree people believe that their ancestors arrived on earth from the stars as spirits that took human form um, the Lakota and the Zuni people, they have legends of interacting with star people and sky people who showed up in glowing spheres and like exited these spheres and taught the people agriculture and all like mathematics and different things. Um, one of the things that I've been recently diving pretty deep into because it's the, one of the most baffling, uh, like architectural phenomenons today, is the site of gobekli tepe in turkey. Uh it's what we know is the first temple ever constructed. It was constructed around 7000 years before the great pyramids existed. So about 11000 years. It's such a phenomenon because right now the only they have uh done a dig site at at gobekli tepe and have uncovered four uh, stone structures and they have done a uh, ground radar and have found 20 extra ones that are still not uncovered and the kind of cutting of the stone that they use at gobekli uh resembles the type of stone masonry at the great pyramids of Giza, are the it's the exact same type of cutting as machu Picchu in peru um, to where it doesn't require any kind of mortar to seal these bricks together. They use precise mathematical measurements of the stones and gravity to hold them all together. Uh, initially, we believe that before religion began, it took the agricultural revolution. So hunter-gatherer peoples coming and deciding that they were shifting into an agricultural society, which allowed them the freedom to specialize in certain tasks, which allowed them, freed them up to start thinking about bigger things like what happens after we die. And so for many, many years, it was believed that the agricultural revolution predated religion, But this site is the first that we have that speaks to the contrary because it's the first shift where people in a lot of cave art and uh, different pottery that we've found across the globe, back around the Ice Age period of humanoids, we viewed animals as gods. Like animism was the primary religion of ancient human beings. And Gobekli Tepe is the first place on Earth where there was this mind shift to human beings being classified above animals spiritually. And in the center of this temple, there are these two T-like monolithic uh, stones that are around seven tons that are like these two stones in the shape of a T. In, carved into the stone are like human hands, but they're headless. So the headless portion in the art that is carved into the stone around the temple, the the figure of a headless person is supposed to, or at least its guest, is supposed to represent a human in the spirit world. Because the practice of these people back then were they would bury their dead. But after their dead was buried and they decomposed fully, uh, they worship their ancestors very similarly to how the animists did, and so they would they would dig up their ancestor skulls, use them as part of their shrine. So this imagery of a headless person was supposed to represent the human beings' experience in the underworld. Um, and this place wasn't lived in by these people. They would travel a great distance to get to this place. And With the technology that they had at the time, or at least that we think that they had. To give you a perspective of where the rest of the world was at and why this is such a phenomenon, we were just exiting the Younger Dryas period, and human beings did not even know how to make pottery, like clay pottery. And these people built this giant structure that is like, with the type of mathematical precision that could rival the space age like with the type of math knowledge that is available. And this was, yeah, 11,600 years ago. So there's still so much that they're trying to find out about these people. So in relation to the UFO phenomenon with Gobekli Tepe, I, so there are three running theories about uh, what these extraterrestrials could be. Uh, there's one theory called the interdimensional hypothesis, which involves uh, other realities and dimensions that are, coexist separately and alongside our own and are interacting with ours. Then the second one is called the extraterrestrial hypothesis, which is the one that's most commonly known by everyone, which is that there are beings from outer space that are visiting our planet. Um, and then the last one is the one that I'm most partial to. It's called the Crypto terrestrial hypothesis, which basically suggests that these beings, or at least one type of these beings, actually originated on Earth and are remnants of an ancient advanced society that exists before our recorded history. I think what's so fascinating about Gobekli Tepe and all of the architecture that started in the Fertile Crescent region at that time, uh, including that made its way down to Egypt. Um, it seems to me like that is a remnant of an ancient society just because it's an ancient advanced society. It doesn't make sense for that type of architecture and that type of math and those type of tools to be possible at that time with where what we know, like how we know humans were developing at that time. And so to me, it seems like that was one of the first sites after. Some sort of cataclysm event happened where they, people were trying to rebuild and trying to say, hey, we were here, we were greater than this, but this is what we have left.
1: So that would mean that, that they have already an understanding of our planet's resources and atmosphere and things of that nature. So they would... Have an advanced understanding of how to interact.
2: Yeah. With so, and we see evidence of this in the Great Pyramids of Egypt. So, not only are the three pyramids of Giza uh, directly under Orion's belt, and the largest pyramid is like lined up on the earth to always be in alignment with true north, um, but the measurements of the base and the height of these pyramids represents the the wobbling of the earth's axis. Uh and it represents the uh measurement of the earth's equator. So it's like these pyramids are basically a roadmap to like what we know about our Earth. So there was like a very advanced level of astronomical knowledge that just shouldn't have been available at that time.
0: Okay, so so theory one, they come from another dimension. Theory two, they come from another world in this dimension. Theory three, they come from this world in this dimension in a past time. It's just a lot to drink. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs)
2: And, and to be perfectly honest, they're like it could be all three. Like we, we truly don't know. I think the biggest thing to consider with this topic is that anyone that says that they know anything for sure is full of shit. Like the, the biggest answer to so many of these questions that are popping up is, is just, we don't know because there's still so much left to be investigated so much left to be uncovered that we're still gathering all of the information. Here's an easy question yeah. for you,
0: Taylor. Who are these beings and what do they want with us?
2: I don't know. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> well then I believe you. <laughs> they um I think they are definitely studying us. Uh there is a ton of evidence of abductions of human beings, of cattle. Um, For the most part, they are physically harmless, but a lot of people have psychological side effects that happen afterwards. I think for the most part, they're just observing us in the same way that whenever we are studying a type of animal that is precious in nature and who knows, might be on the verge of extinction, we try and observe them in their natural habitat without disturbing them too much. Um, if we come across like one of these types of animals that's sick, we go in, we give them medicine, we leave, but we try as best as we can not to disturb uh their natural environment. So I don't think it's much of a leap to assume that a higher intelligence would be treating us in the exact same way.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. And What about the different types of forms, like even in the UAP conversation we just had where you talk about a spinning top or a tic-tac-shaped thing, but there's also been a lot of different reports of people who have seen different types of beings, light beings, um, the traditional kind of like green, long-headed, big, dark-eyed alien, the, what are they called, the gray The The grays,
2: yeah. So... uh, those that's where you kind of have to go into speculation town just because we don't have enough certain information about it yet i think
0: yeah well i think it's okay now at this point to go into yeah for sure so
2: the different types that people (laughs) have (laughs) reported uh at least in anecdotal experiences are the greys reptilian beings called the nordics which appear like very human-like but taller um with paler features uh light beings that just appear as like a glowing entity of some kind and then you start getting into uh more of the cultural references and in places like the torah and in the bible uh they're in like the book of ezekiel uh He interacts with this being that shows up in the form of like rotating wheels spinning around like what he describes as a flaming eye um, that has like eyes going all around the rings. Like there are just so many different uh, types of things that have been reported over the years. And I do think a lot of that information specifically about the classification of like beings, aside from UAPs, is going to be coming out soon. I feel like that's kind of the next thing that they're looking to tackle. I think they were just trying to put out the information that would be as easily digestible and least disruptive to society as a whole first. Uh, That way we could chew on it for a little bit before we start moving into the next phase.
0: Well, I think it's interesting as we start to kind of veer into speculation town to consider the crossover between alien and religious experience, yeah. like a lot of our religions are based on a sky god, and a lot of our experiences of unidentified beings and and phenomena are coming from the sky, or even what you just talked about, Ezekiel. It's like uh, it's like that meme that I think yeah. like seen. Like, is it an angel <laughs> yeah. or is yeah, it a? Yeah, that, literally, <laughs> yeah,
2: that meme. And it's kind That's of literally from the book and of it's Ezekiel. That yep. meme
0: the way in which our ancestors might've processed these experiences then became religion. Then that religion became divorced from the truth of the experience and it became kind of homogenized. And so difficult for a contemporary person to think of a divine being as something that doesn't mirror them, Mm -hmm. right? This idea of like, we're created in God's own image, but we're so limited. I mean, maybe the image just means like carbon based, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or (laughs) intelligent. but I'm curious, too, about the discrepancy in the forms. and like, what do you make of of all these different forms? and like are they different species? Are they appearing to us in ways that we need to see yeah, them?
2: So uh, the answer to that is I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> the my guess, at least, from everything that I've read and everything that I've been keeping up with, We know for certain that these beings have what is being described as psychotronic capabilities, which basically means they have the ability to affect the minds and the electronics of those observing it. Um, There are different reports of how these beings have been encountered over the years. Like in the late 1800s, there were sightings of like airships in the clouds, like sailing ships, but in the clouds. Um, the Romans described flaming uh, eclipsus, which were their shields uh, hovering over war stages. And I think at least it appears that this phenomenon takes on the shape that most matches the cultural image of what it able to perceive as the supernatural without getting too far past what we're able to digest mentally like it always stays one step ahead of like what we think is normal and what we would perceive that type of entity to be
0: yeah it's it's taking a shape that's helping to assert to us what it is in a way that we can understand it Again, to go back to the Bible, which is not my favorite book, but they did it like to see to see the face of God would would destroy you. Yeah. So so perhaps if some of these beings were to reveal themselves in full, we wouldn't even be able to process what we were seeing.
2: Yeah. So and I think that's where the interdimensional hypothesis really comes in, because whenever so we live in a 3D space time fabric. And if you take a four-dimensional object, the easiest one to explain is a tesseract, which is another name is a hypercube. It's a four-dimensional cube. And if you were to try and project that into a three-dimensional space, it would show up as what we would perceive as a cube. But in four dimensions, it's much greater than that. It's much more complex than that. So an idea that is going around is that these are four-dimensional beings or higher-dimensional beings that are trying to figure out a way or have been projecting themselves into our three-dimensional space. And we just, we can't perceive it for what it truly is yet. And we, we might not ever. What I was describing a moment ago is a tesseract, which is the name for a four-dimensional cube. And to put it in a less mathematical term, Um, it's the same as with us as three dimensional beings, if we're going to make a zero dimension version of ourselves, you draw a point on a paper. And if you want to make a one dimensional version of yourself, you draw a line, two dimensional version, you create a drawing or a painting, and then a three dimensional separate version is Basically what we're seeing with like the shift into the metaverse right now, we are translating ourselves into another three-dimensional space.
0: So basically what we're doing in the metaverse, or those of us that have oculi and (laughs) are going to the metaverse, of which Angel and I are not.
2: That's
0: basically what these beings are trying to do. They're projecting themselves into our dimension. And so it's not actually them, it's like an avatar, which is why they're able to potentially do things that defy the natural laws that we are all bound by.
2: Yes. So we are bound by Newtonian physics, essentially. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, And uh, these beings operate on more of a quantum level like they are able to defy our known laws of physics and i think what's interesting with what we are doing we are basically doing a rudimentary version of that right now with the metaverse we are projecting ourselves into another space in a different way to have a different kind of experience and i think that the way that we approach spirituality and the way that we approach uh topics of supernatural origin or things that we would have perceived as supernatural I think need to be given a second look I think it's important to kind of consider that we might be interacting with something that some things that we might perceive as spiritual are just slightly beyond our scientific understanding like the fact that we hold supercomputers in our pocket every day would be considered like magic to ancient peoples, but to us it's just like normal. So we do have to consider that some things that I absolutely believe in the spirit world. Of course, Uh, I believe in the spiritual plane, but I do think that there are probably a lot of experiences that have happened to people over the last, however many thousands of years that have, more of a relation to this than it does to the spiritual world but i think they also go hand in hand like there's there's so much of it that is connected to the experience of the afterlife um that in recently i've started i mean not recently for a while i've considered that we are all beings of either four dimensions or higher and our physical bodies are just the avatars that we have projected a portion of ourselves into
0: yeah like our soul is projecting this version of taylor this version of brandon Mm -hmm. and there are moments maybe in meditation or altered states where you like get a flash you remember that more expanded version of yourself but most of the time we are kind of trapped in this more limited expression of ourselves
2: exactly and i think that there is a purpose to it i think that there is uh the way that you just described having like flashes of memory of these of your higher self if you want to call it that Um, i definitely think there is an aspect of the human experience that causes a type of spiritual amnesia Like, there is something about being incarnated in these physical bodies that prevents you from remembering, but I think it serves a very specific purpose. I think it allows, like, a fresh slate. I think it allows you to learn things that you wouldn't be able to learn if you remembered everything that's within your soul's memory and I think that's also like why we're being visited by these beings I think they're trying to learn something from us just as much as we're trying to learn something from them
1: And I think what's interesting about it too is that like just from this connection spirituality uh, otherworldly connection like just even in the last I don't know how many decades but probably last three or four decades the use of the word or the phrase the universe yeah. And its expansion into spiritual mm-hmm. culture, to me, feels like a reflection of this inclusion around like, other otherworldly beings.
2: Yeah. It's funny because Galileo discovered that we were not the center of the universe. We were revolving around a much larger object, but our culture is only just now catching up to that idea that we are not the center of our universe. We are just a microscopic piece in a very grand picture Um, speak for yourself (laughs) we are microscopic but still very important every piece makes up the picture and that's that's part of it
1: wouldn't you argue too that like that's kind of at the heart of like so much human conflict is those who are holding on to us being the center of the universe and those yep. of us who are willing to expand beyond that understanding. Yep.
2: very much so.
1: I mean, that's the ego conflict, right?
2: It is, yeah.
1: Do you think we're going to have actual tangible contact in our lifetime?
2: I think we already have. There's a lot of, I wasn't able to cover some of the historical instances of contact, but Y'all may not know this, but during uh World War II, there is an instance called the Battle of Los Angeles. And in February of 1942. Aquarius uh, season? Yep. There was <laughs> <laughs> there was uh a ton of metallic spheres that appeared off the coast of Los Angeles that caused thousands of uh, like anti-aircraft ammunition to be fired at them. And the war sirens for all of Los Angeles started going off and people were taking shelter while our jets were being scrambled to intercept these spheres because they thought the Axis powers were attacking There's another instance where there is a whole fleet of uh, UFOs that were flying above Washington, D.C. in July of 1952. And it was a mass sighting by thousands and thousands of people. And I I think it happened multiple times over the span of a week. And so there's, there's been tons and tons like thousands and thousands of historical incidents of contact. I think we are just now approaching a time period where that's going to become more common knowledge because of the standardized reporting method that's being developed right now.
1: You yourself haven't had a personal experience that sits like heavily in your awareness.
2: I don't know.
1: <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> Fair.
2: That's, so I I definitely have been re-evaluating spiritual experiences and like what I would classify as disturbing spiritual experiences in my past. Like even recently I posted on my Instagram story about the handprints that I found in my room, which I felt was such an eerie like similarity to that boots in the house anecdote that Luis Elizondo talks about. Like I woke up the next morning and there were leaves in my room and Hand, black handprints on my windowsill above my bed that were the size of a toddler, and it was just like physically impossible for that, like a human of that size, to be like over my bed like that. I, I, and I'm still baffled by it. I can't say for certain, like, yeah, this was some sort of contact, but these kind of events, whenever you can't, when there's not enough evidence. Uh, to say for certain that it is this phenomenon. Uh, they're classified as experiences of high strangeness. And that's definitely how I, I would classify this experience that I have. Experiences like that, experiences where, like, for instance, another thing that has really made me curious is the, the legend of like shadow people across cultures for thousands and thousands of years. And I personally experienced beings like this In the house that I grew up in, there were like multiple instances where me or my friends would either wake up in the middle of the night with like, I mean, sometimes it would be sleep paralysis, but sometimes it would be we were all sitting in my game room watching a movie and this thing would like show up. And it just really makes me consider like, is this a different type of being that's interacting with us and what's causing them to like make this kind of rip through into our dimension or into our world in some ways i kind of wonder like whenever you take something like a psychedelic and like mushrooms DMT whatever and a lot of the times in these altered state experiences or through meditation you feel like you go somewhere else and sometimes you interact with beings that there's no way your brain could like imagine up these beings and you feel like you're in another place so part of me wonders, do they have something in their dimension or universe that's similar to like psychedelics where they either consume something or interact with a type of technology that allows them to briefly blip into our world? And we experience them just as much as they experience us.
0: I think that's beautiful. I also just think that stepping out of a fear-based perspective and potentially considering that these beings are protectors and that are invested in our survival, um, not invested in our destruction. And it's such a Western concept, right, that all of yeah. our experiences of, of aliens, you know, it's like Independence Day or, yeah. alien or you know, it's and, and there are there are other there are other stories that we could tell.
2: 100 percent. I mean, they were literally worshipped as gods in so many cultures across the world it's so funny how in the modern era we have done that dramatic shift from them being like the people from the stars that come down and help us. And we like, we give thanks to them and we have a relationship with them to in modern times. There's yeah. So much media fear that has been demonizing these experiences
0: that we can't understand. Yeah. Cause I was going to say potentially like saviors, but I was like, that sounds Brandon. Don't, don't go that far, but I'm going that far. So yeah, there is there is the potentiality that that they are trying to save us and even from ourselves. And I I wanna draw you out at the end here around what you introduced to me is is it the Fermi paradox?
2: Yeah, the Fermi paradox. I was gonna call it the Fermi uh, paradox, which is <laughs> can she dance and hey. sing
0: at the same time? The answer, the answer is-, is no. No. Oh, But she might cartwheel. But she might cartwheel. (laughs) Okay, so the Fermi, not the Fergie
2: paradox. The Fermi paradox
1: is
2: (laughs) what Taylor? So it's, to extremely simplify it, it's essentially the idea that when an intelligent species gets to a certain point of advancement, it causes its own destruction before it is able to reach, like, interstellar travel. And so for a while, the argument... For why we haven't come across intelligent life in the universe from things like SETI or our telescopes that are constantly like scanning the universe for signs of intelligent life. Uh, the theory is that this Fermi paradox is what is preventing us from finding intelligent life, and that it's because it isn't out there because any kind of intelligent species that would get to a certain level of advancement would cause its own extinction, which we're kind of seeing that with us today. It's a theory. I don't know if I fully buy into it just based on the evidence, but I think that it is definitely a component of this topic, 100%. Well,
0: and then to connect the dots here that perhaps extraterrestrial life is is trying to help us, or even like past versions of ourselves, which we're perceiving as extraterrestrial life, is trying to help us not fall into that same trap.
2: Yeah exactly i i think even the fact that this is happening right now at this time in history like we are literally alive in the time period where america is openly talking talking about ufos and i don't think that that is a coincidence i think that that is intentional because of the type of things that are kind of approaching with climate change with how we're just not taking care of our planet like we're on the verge of war in so many different respects and i think this could this could be the one thing that like really unites us as like a global people like this is the biggest mystery that we have uncovered in thousands of years and it's something that now Like, even China the other day was at the UN trying to position themselves as a global leader in investigating this topic. So, and we're working with Russia, like, we have, like, there's so many opportunities for cooperation. And I think it is definitely intentional that it's happening in this time period in our human history. Because ultimately, we are all from planet Earth. We're all living this human experience together and makes it a hell of a lot easier if we're working together, trying to figure out these big questions and fighting each other over stupid shit.
0: Taylor, will you be the human representative?
2: <laughs> it's, they can abduct me and they can leave <laughs> and I will not come back. She is packed. Is what her? three things will you take with you? Jesus. Um, I'm going to take my iPhone so that I can still listen to the podcast. Um, (laughs) Thank you. you. I'm going to take the other two things would just be books. I'm I'm like, if I'm leaving forever, I'm bringing some books with
1: me. Not like a crystal?
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, fair. A book, a crystal, and my phone to listen to the podcast.
1: What book would you want to take to have in your otherworldly experience and through eternity?
2: Jeez. So, I would say, whose book about parallel worlds? Um, he's one of the world's greatest, like, astrophysicists out there, uh, leading futurist. And there's just so much, like, so much about our current culture, scientific perspective, as well as just like really grand ideas about like how vast our universe is. Uh, And it would feel like a piece of home while still feeling like a piece of space.
0: What's that book called for any of our gazers that are curious?
2: Parallel World by Michio Kaku. Honestly, any of his books are great. Like always recommend them.
1: Awesome. Well, we always recommend you. Yeah. We recommend you very highly. Uh, How can the,
0: how can the the gazers connect with you if they want to reach out and, pick your brain and follow your life and see those handprints on your window?
2: Yeah. So uh, on Instagram, I am dreamstress with three S's at the end. Yes. Um, I'm not going to give any of y'all my Twitter because that's where I'm free to be a hoe. And <laughs> that is where the close friends live.
0: <laughs> Good for you. Those are boundaries. We we, we yes. stand boundaries.
2: Yeah. So y'all can follow me on Instagram.
0: Well, Taylor, thank you for helping us to reevaluate our relationship to the supernatural and extraterrestrial. Thank you for following your passion and just contributing so much to our community. And I think we will probably have you back again because I know we just skated the surface of this topic. And I definitely, especially once Pluto moves into Aquarius, everybody, we have to be (laughs) taking responsibility and exploring
2: extraterrestrial life. Yes, good. Thank y'all so much for having me on. I'm so glad it's only got to happen.
0: I remember when we were first dating and Angel told me he was an alien and I walked in on him when we were staying at a house <laughs> in the Coachella Valley and he was wearing these like little antennae like dancing around in the mirror and I like walked in and he like caught me watching him and all of a sudden I thought I was like interrupting some sort of like intergalactic transmission and I also was probably high at the time. probably. But I remember thinking like, is Angel actually an alien? <laughs>
1: Are you? Did you really, I mean, did you really entertain that thought?
0: I'm an Aquarius bitch. You know I did. (laughs) You know
1: I fucking did. I was like, is he a starseed? I was told I was when I uh, worked back in the day. I also, um, something I didn't get to talk about in our interview with Taylor, but when I was younger, I used to um, stare out the window. I had this little window above my bed and I used to stand on my bed and stare at it. And um, just kind of say over and over, like, when are you coming back to get me? When are you coming back to get me? I'm ready. I want to go home now. And I used to just do that all the time. I mean... So, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> have you brought that up in therapy? <laughs> no. <laughs> we love Taylor and we love you, and we hope you love that
0: conversation. We'll certainly have Taylor back, and there's certainly more to dive into in terms of this whole topic. So, yeah. Look out for more of that. But let's finish this episode with a tarot card poll. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. So, just take a moment and get centered, drop back into your body, connect to the cards by listening into the sound of them being shuffled. And just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. So even if you're a human being from hundreds of thousands of years ago, this message will resonate for you when you come back. And we are working with the Five of Swords reversed. It's a heavy energy, the Five of Swords. It's an awareness of how you are at war with yourself. But what the Five of Swords actually depicts is not the war itself, but the aftermath of the battle. So you're actually kind of like picking up the pieces. You're almost healing or regrouping after having been in a battle with yourself. The reversal can sometimes indicate a softening, like some of these harder cards. When they come in upside down, they might say, This is a little gentler than you're used to. But I think we're all being invited to explore how we get in our own way, how we make things more difficult for ourselves based on the swords we use and choose to wield swords being the stories the thoughts the patterns and we were well with a friend of mine recently who I think of as like a very confident very self-loving person and just like one or two things they said slipped out and I was like you can't talk to yourself that way I love you and so it just made me realize that each and every one of us no matter how we present in the world have this inner battle we're all dealing with issues of confidence we're all dealing with issues of how to be nicer to ourselves, especially in the face of everything that consumerism puts in our faces, right? Like all the hot people on Instagram and all the well-dressed people on the streets and all the people that have more than you have. And it's like, be careful with how you let that inform your relationship with yourself, which is the most sacred relationship you have. Be careful with how you tend to your own inner life and the words that you use to communicate with yourself, because... They are swords and they can cut deep and we have enough to heal in terms of externals. We don't need to be healing from the way that we treat ourselves any longer. So use this week. Mercury's direct, Venus is direct, we're retracing some of that shadow territory and reclaim your relationship for yourself with love, with tenderness. And when you notice ways in which you're leaking mental energy and combating yourself, take a breath. Take a step and see if you can rewrite that narrative. It's good advice. Thank you. Um, we love you. Thank you for being here. We're very excited in the next week or two to announce officially our retreat dates, some of our course offerings. Mm-hmm. There are things in the pipeline almost ready for you. So uh, just stay tuned. Definitely sign up for the newsletter because that will be the first place all of this information goes.
1: Yeah, and you can sign up for the newsletter at our website, thespiritualgaze.com. You can find everything else about us there. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze, Twitter at Spiritual Gaze, or on Facebook at The Spiritual Gaze. And just like that...
0: This has been your transit through The The
1: Spiritual Game